Uh, I want to speak today on the Father's heart, and uh, I've learned something uh, through the years uh, between Mother's Day and uh, Father's Day uh, is that it's not the happiest day of the year for a lot of mothers or fathers. Uh, if you've lost children, miscarriages, abortions, uh, divorce, uh, children that have turned on you, uh, it's not a happy day. Second of all, Father's Day is every day. Uh, Hallmark invented this to make money. I'm a father every day of the year, every day. And this morning, my wife was very dear. She said this morning, we're having a cup of coffee. She said, oh, happy Father's Day. And I said, why, that's, thank you, honey. She said, but remember, you didn't do it alone. <laughs> kind of even the ground there. And, and I would like to say, if I'd only known how wonderful my children turned out to be, I would have had eight. Because I see the end product. See, I haven't had them in the home for 20 years, and I've healed up. And so uh, I thank God for the children, and I thank God for my mom and dad, the sinners that raised sinners. You see, you bring a sinner home from the hospital, not an angel. An angel, but a different kind, fallen. And they need Christ, and they need, you know what? A home is the greatest launching pad God ever gave an individual, and God helped the people where that unit is broken, and there was not a launch, there wasn't a help. Look in your notes. I just read some statistics on the home, and uh, I hope you got a bulletin. The outline's there. A man came up today trying to get all my points off of my outline, and we said, did you get a bulletin? And he didn't. You got a bulletin? $5 a copy. Raise your hand. Uh, and that, that'll give you the notes. Uh, the American home, nearly half of the first births in the USA are to unmarried mothers. So that means they're not celebrating Mother's or, or Father's Day today. The, da the dad's not there. Sometimes I think we could be insensitive, us who have had wonderful family. We're insensitive to a broken culture. People uh, who never knew their dad, uh, a, a friend of my family, of my father, just passed away. Uh, a Louisiana black came from Shreveport, raising a great-grandson, car accident, 79, and Lamar passed away. But I remember standing out in his front yard uh, talking, and he started crying. He said, see, Pastor, I never knew my dad. That's why I'm trying to rescue this great-grandson of mine. I never knew what a dad was. I, I never, what's that? And I just grew up from pillar to post and made it, and that's why I'm trying to rescue this boy, Bakari. And don't let me forget, Gabe, I'm trying to get Gar Bakari, I'll take him out Tuesday night to volleyball madness so we can make this young 15-year-old feel welcome. Don't be insensitive to those who come from brokenness. Don't assume everybody had as wonderful a home as you did. It's not true. Um, the American home, one in five children are raised uh, below the poverty level. Air Jordans does, doesn't seem to be their problem. It's whether they're going to eat. 40% uh, of first-time marriages end in divorce, which leaves the children up for grabs. Who am I going to be with? Who am I gonna... 
Seven million children are raised in alcoholic homes or homes where drugs control the parents. Seven million. That's pretty rough. Don't know if dad or mom will be drunk tonight. Don't know if they'll be strung out. Just a fact. Uh, one in four homes have some form of mental illness. This was in Christianity Today, this article. Um, 44% per, of homes with two parents, both parents work, so children are left alone a lot. 26% uh, of homes are headed by a single parent, leaving children at home alone for more than normal. Number one problem in marriages, they say, is unforgiveness. Uh, no matter what it's communication, sex, finance, uh, those just common problems and adjustments in every marriage. Uh, but you can't get over the problems if you can't forgive. And they say the counseling room is full of counselees that say, I'm not going to forgive them. I won't forgive them. So let's go and find out something about the divine father and his family. I want to look at two verses before we look at Luke 15. Turn to Ephesians, Ephesians 3. Let me take you to 5.1 first, 5.1. Let me ask you a question. Look at this verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Number one. What person of the Godhead is he talking about? I can't hear you. Yep, that's it. When it's not qualified, when it says God, it's normally the Father. Okay? So it says, imitate God the Father. Now, how are you doing imitating his omnipotence? Doing okay? A try omnipresence. Try omniscience. Tri-infinity. These are known as incommunicable attributes. They are attributes that cannot transfer to human beings. But there are some other attributes in God called love, goodness, grace. These are communicable, and the fruit of the Spirit reproduces them in us so that we actually take God, our, the Father, as our pattern. And so we are to raise children after the way the Father runs the Trinitarian family. They don't fuss with each other. There's subordination in the Trinity. There's equality. Uh, there's just this marvelous eternal family. And look at chapter 3, chapter 3, and verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now watch. From whom every family in heaven, it's interesting, I don't know quite what those families are. Is it angels? Is it people who've already died, gone to heaven? But whether they're in heaven or on earth, notice, derives its name. What does that mean? The word name means characteristic, nature. Family life is patterned off of the Trinitarian life. All families, the family concept has come from God the Father and the Trinity. Is that amazing? 
They were family. You know, we think marriage uh, came along to portray God. No, marriage portrays what God. The patterns here, the perfect pattern is the love of God for his people. Marriage is an illustration of it. But marriage didn't we, it, read it back on God. It comes from God. He invented marriage. He invented family. Every family derives its nature. It's characteristic from God the Father. He designed family. That's an amazing. He's the divine architect of how he wants family life. Now, let's go to Luke 15, where we see one of the most graphic pictures of what the Father's heart is like when he's raising rebellious children. And he tells this story First of all, let me say this. It was not written about family life. It's written about God. The parable of the prodigal son was not written for family life. And that's not right. We're going to take analogies from it. But why was the parable of the prodigal son even in the Bible? Why is the parable told? Notice verse 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors... And the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're offended because their theology said, If you're holy, you don't come in contact with what is unholy. You'll be contaminated. You don't. Meet with known sinners. And here you got God in the flesh, the God-man. You can't get any more God on this earth than in God the Son. And prostitutes, crooked tax cheaters, crooked men, they were attracted to Jesus, and Jesus was attracted to them. They must not have been fundamentalists. They must not have been right-wing Christians who only run with Christians lest we get contaminated. I grew up with people, everything was wrong. Can't bowl, can't go to shows, can't wear makeup, you can't drink, can't dance, you can't spit, you can't chew, and you can't go with girls to do. Everything was wrong because we're holy. We're holy. Terrible at evangelism. A lot of revivals keep trying to get us all saved again. And you find most of you, after you've been saved one or two years, have no unsaved friends. Family doesn't count. You're stuck with family. But you give up because you don't want to be around that unholy crowd. And so you lose all contact. And so we always preach to each other all the time. And, and we get critical of each other. When's the last time you were with a thoroughbred sinner that needed Jesus and you felt comfortable being with them because you're going to tell them how to go to heaven and tell them that God loved them. You know, when I'm out of the pulpit a long time, amens evaporate in this place. So I don't, that's okay. You're guilty. I wouldn't amen it. But listen, he says, let me tell you three stories. I'll tell you why I like to be a sinner. I'm like a man who found a lost sheep and I threw a party and all my neighbors would come because they would rejoice with me because I found my sheep. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'd do that. Well, I came to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. 
Two, if a gal lost her engagement coin, a ring, a very precious piece of jewelry, and she found it again, she could throw a party, everybody would rejoice, would you all come to it? Yeah, sure. That, man, that's cause, you know, you double the worth of something if you lose it and then find it. Have you ever misplaced your phone or watch, or when you find it, it's like you get a brand new watch? Because it doubles its value. When it's lost, it's yours. Now, the epitome of the story, it said, and if a man lost a son, and he came home, and the family was restored, you guys would all attend the party, wouldn't you, and rejoice that the boys come back home. Wouldn't you? Well, we've got two sons, and the elder son is the Pharisees. He never comes into the party. He's begged to come. The father pleads with him because he is much a rebel as the young one. We always pick on the young one, but the older son rejected the father too. And in history, Six months from this parable, the elder brother who represented the Pharisees that had no use for sinners, they went and crucified the father of the parable because he threw parties for sinners. Threw parties. Now, let's look, first of all, how the sons treated the dad. Then we'll look at how the dad treated them. And then we'll see if there's anything we can imitate and bring home for ourselves. Number one, very easy. The boy, the young boy, just rebels and wants to run away. Uh, that, that's history. Man's been doing that. That's plain right there. I, I, I want to I wanna get out of here. I don't love the old man anyway. I went off the place. I want to do my own thing. I don't just want to leave. I'm going to go. I don't know if he knew this originally, but I'm going where the Gentiles boogie and party, and they don't live by the law. I can do anything I want. I want to go to college where I get drunk and get sex all I can. I want to get away from the home. So he's a rebel. And so he blatantly leaves, breaks his father's heart. Then he uh, obviously rejects the father. Uh, he wants his dad's resources, but he doesn't want his dad. And he did something that was a death wish. I want my inheritance. Wait, in the ancient Near East, you can have the will read, and the elder son is going to get two-fifths. Uh, this boy will get his fifth, and it's going to be. But you don't get that till dad dies. I mean, he has to die. And so wishing for the inheritance was a death wish. He basically was saying, Dad, I wish you would drop over dead because all I want is your resources. I could do without you. There's no love in this young boy for his dad. I don't know what the beefs were, but he's portrayed as no affection for his father. Uh, he eventually returns to the father, but not because he loves him. He, he didn't say, oh, I miss dad. We don't hear any mom in this story, but no doubt there's a mom. I miss the cooking. I miss, I'm homesick. There's nothing like homesickness. He's not homesick. He gets, goes to a Gentile land, 
He's so famished, he's in a hog pen. This is a Jewish boy. And the story, the master tells the story. This man is actually uh, down there with the hogs. And if you've been around country and been around hogs, friend, between manure, slop, and corn husk, uh, it's a terrible scene, especially for a Jewish boy. And when he's famished and starving to death, he says, you know what? I can get a job for dad. I never ask him to treat me like a son because I know that's off. That's off limits. But if I can just get a job, I can at least eat. The only reason he wants to come home is he's hungry, not because he misses his dad. I'm sorry. It's not there. Don't make it there. Oh, I want to go home. I love dad. Never said in the narrative. Uh Uh-uh. Dad will maybe keep me from starving. So this is the picture of the younger son. The older son, what's the picture of him? Um, Number one, we get this point. In the ancient Near East, if there was a family squabble and one of the siblings left the home ticked at the dad, Guess whose job it was to bring them back? The elder son. The elder son was supposed to go look for his brother and talk to him and said, you can't break up the family. You've got to get over this rebellion. You come with me. We're going back home. Guess what? The elder brother never goes looking for him. Because he didn't love the boy. It was good riddance. So he's that way. Two, the elder son rejects the father's heart. He doesn't love what the father loves. He loves the assets. He loves the inheritance. He loves to run the ranch. He loves to count the money he's going to be worth. He doesn't love this dad. You know why we know he doesn't love the dad? He doesn't love his brother. His dad's aching over this boy. And the older brother said, I ain't going to waste time on him. He left, let him say gone, and good riddance. And dad had no one to go. You see, Jesus is the true elder brother that the father sent from heaven to bring us back to God. And he fulfilled his role but not in this parable. The Pharisees won't go looking for the lost. The Pharisees do not care a thing about lost people. They're too busy counting money at the temple. They're too busy going through religious ceremony to care about hell-deserving sinners. Like a lot of right-wing conservative Christians that are always arguing some point of theology but really don't give a damn about a man's soul. I know. I grew up around a lot of them. They win all arguments, but they win few people. Why? Why? Who are you winning for Christ? Quit picking the church apart. Why don't you go after some destitute girl or some destitute man and tell them the good news? Some of you don't know what to do, so you pick on the church. Pick on the church. If you could only see those that are going to hell, 
and that you cared, we would sure quit picking on each other. Amen. He wants the father's assets, but he doesn't want to come to his father's party. So he rejects the father, but he wants the assets. He, he rejects the reconciliation party. At, at the end here, the story ends, and, and the elder brother never comes into the party. He never comes. And this was as bad a sin as what the young boy did, because in the ancient Near East, if you said no to a patriarch in front of guests, you shamed him so bad that they could stone you. Boy, there'd be a lot of dead American teenagers. They didn't put up with rebellion. You were stoned. And so, he said, no, I'm not coming in. I'm not coming in. No, I'm rejoicing. My heart's bursting. Come into the party. And Christ is trying to get the Pharisees, won't you join me in the party? I'm finding lost people. I'm finding sinners. Fallen women are washing my feet with their tears and wiping it with their hair. Matthew, the tax collector, has been converted. Zacchaeus, another tax collector, has been converted. Join me in the party. No. Have it by yourself. We are not entering into your joy. We are not happy about it. They deserve what they get, right? Because I'm full of grace and mercy. Yes, sir. You've got to be straight to be in this church. That's why many people love Jesus but can't stand the church. They can't stand us. The church is us. Because Jesus loves sinners. And many people aren't convinced we do. And I ask you, do you? Historically, the elder brother will wind up refusing the party and killing the one who threw it, the dad. And Jesus is really the dad of the parable. He's illustrating his ministry, and he uses a dad and a son. Now, let's see how the dad treated the boys, both rebels. Let's look at it. Number one, he longs for reconciliation and restoration. Now, he's been shamed, rejected. Nobody in that house loves him, not among these boys. But he longs for reconciliation. And how do we know that? He says here in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, he saw this boy. Now, I ask you, you're living in a village. Uh, uh, an ancient Near East village would be 100 to 150 people at the most. Now, you're, you're a, a dad of some years. Now, how do you see anybody from a long way off? No, you don't do that. No, 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 no. You fixate. I'm lo I wonder how many hours he wasted looking down the path the boy left. I'm looking, and there's a reason he saw him. I don't know how far you can see a son. But anyway, there's something in him that says, I'm looking because I'm longing. I'm longing. All you'll get back is a rebel. I know it. Don't tell me I'm the one that's been hurt. I'm looking because I'm longing for reconciliation. Two, 
when he sees the boy, now let's get the picture. There was no old spice then. Those old corn husk, manure, slop. I know. I, I was with my aunt one time, Hills of Oklahoma. I watched them slop hogs. Let me tell you, it's filthy, it's dirty, it's messy. Never knew bacon could come from such a dirty place. And when he saw the boy, it says he was moved with compassion. And the word compassion, the Greeks used it for years for intestines, bowels. They included lungs, kidneys. And for years, it was uh, organs of the body. But a, a Greek poet, Aeschylus, uh, came along and started using it as the seat of violent emotions, either anger or love. But the Hebrews always took it of tender emotions, kindness. In Psalms 103, he says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, which is merciful kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger for us. Uh, against us. Uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen to Lamentations 3. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases. His compassions never fail. This is God. Our God, Old Testament or New, is moved to compassion for fallen, rebellious sinners. Because God has never raised anybody that wasn't a rebel. All to a various degree. You see, let me, there's some of you who say, well, I never did that. You know what you ought to thank God for? Who kept you from doing it? Well, that was me. No, it wasn't. No, I, no, I just don't believe in your depravity that much. See, I feel like I'm a chief of sinners here because I know what I would have done had he not interrupted me. What he kept me from, he kept me from. I haven't done much. You can't do much damage by the time you're 14. But I'm telling you, he's delivered me from a thousand traps of the devil, a thousand traps to seduce me, to get me into morality, to get me into bitterness, to get me into hate, to get me to sin, to get me not to reconcile. God keeps his own because he's compassionate. Compassionate and full of mercy. Uh, he initiates the reconciliation. Yeah, have you ever say, heard people say this? Well, if there's ever going to be any re reconciliation, they're going to have to come and, and get on their knees. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Mm-mm, honey, you, you're going to have to earn my favor. You're going to have to show me that you're worth it. What did the boy show? Dad, I just want a job. I don't want to be called a son. I'm dirty, I'm filthy, and I've wasted my inheritance. <laughs> Get out of here. I don't want to take a chance on you. Instead, he runs to him, and, and the, the thing that, we miss uh, is it in that culture, you didn't run as a patriarch. Because here's the thing. Now, look at those legs. Don't you want those covered? Well, 
Well, if I wore robes, man, that's a white lake, I'm telling you folks. <laughs> if you call me whitey, there's a reason. Uh, okay, they, they would have to pull their garments to run, or I'll say trip on them, and it wasn't dignified for an older man to run in public, but he runs because the boy's sin is not only against his home, it's against the village, and the village elders can call a council to stone him. And the dad says, I'm going to get to my boy first. I will run. I don't want any of the elders to lay a hand on him. I'm the one he really sinned against. I'm going to get my arms around him. So he initiates, and he runs. And then, in the Greek, he kisses and kisses and kisses. Even these mean Arabs, when they're mad at each other, they kiss on the cheek. Even the mafia, just before they kill you. you know. But this word for kiss is a present tense. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Here's the picture. The old man's running. He gets to the boy, stench, ceremonially unclean, and he kisses, and he kisses, and he kisses. He doesn't know when to stop. It was not a, a, a formal greeting. No, 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 no. You see, when you love someone, you can get carried away. You can, you can get carried away with a fallen boy if you love him. You get carried away kissing on a sinner. Jim Cimbala tells about the man that came in, had urinated on himself, and still had the vomit from the street on him, and came at the altar call, and he came up, and he wanted the pastor to pray with him. The stench was terrible. The filth was terrible. And God said, hug this man and kiss him and tell him God loves him. And Jim was hesitant. said, wow, he's in such bad shape. And all of a sudden, he said, I found myself kissing this man, a drunkard, on his cheek and saying, you've come to the Father's house. You've come to a place where God loves drunks, and he loves men with vomit all over them. He can clean you up. He can make you brand new. Do we have that kind of God, or do you have to be squeaky clean to make it to heaven? No, no, no. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and get drunk enough so God can save you. He saves sober people, too. The miracle is he even saves nice people. Those are the hardest to save because they don't need grace. So he lets us come to the end of ourselves. Well, the father did something else. He refused what Jewish law demanded. Uh, it was ceremony. Uh, it, it was called the Ketsetsa, if I could say it. I put it in your bulletin. In there, the Ketsetsa ceremony, which went this way. The Talbot describes a ceremony to deal with a Jewish boy who loses his family inheritance to Gentiles. Here's how it works. If he ever shows up to the village again, the village, they would take a pot. They would fill it with um, usually nuts and corn, it, the tradition. And they would... Uh, call all the elders and the villagers that they could in the town. And Kenneth Bailey, an ancient Near East uh, specialist, 
said they would call out his name. Let's take me. Phil Howard, you rebel. We're cutting you off from your people. And then what they would do, it was worse than an Amish. Amish shun, but in Amish shunning, you could still eat in the cafeteria, you, but at a separate table by yourself. That's what the Amish do. But the Jews, you were exiled. You became homeless. You're no longer a part of this village. Besides, not a part of that family. They take this in front of the elders and they go, out. You're alienated. You're exiled. You shame not only your father, one of our town elders, you shamed us. What did the dad do? He said, there will be no ketgetza here for my son. Get the calf. Get my ring. And I risk my life and my dignity to get to that boy first so that if anybody wants to hit him, they'll have to hit me. This is what God did for us at the cross. He ran ahead in the elder son. The elder brother we had said, no, I'll take the exile. I'll take the Ketsa. Q-E-T-S-A-T-S-A-H. A little tough to say. Ketsa. This will not happen. The Talmud said it must because he's a Jewish boy. He lost it among the Gentiles. Exiling. The father says, there's no exile plan. He's coming back as a son. Get the sandals. Get the ring. Get the robe. Let's throw a party. Now let me ask what we could imitate. Number one, recognize, dads, that God hands you sinners to raise. And don't be surprised if they break your heart. That's not good news, is it? Because when you see them, I got this little granddaughter now, Annalise. No, there's some of you women, you always love them until they can rebel. I love having a baby. Babies grow up. And I know you want to cast them in at 13 and come home at 25 with a job. You know, because they can break your heart. I hope they don't. But what will you do with them if they do? That's the issue. Two, reconciliation is the heart of God. And I would say to all you dads, keep it as a part of your heart. Quit giving ultimatums to your kids and telling them how you're going to cut them off. And don't ever do that. And cut that. Cut. When you're dealing with sinners, giving ultimatums and a bunch of rules, ultimately, I'm talking about as they grow up in adult years, you can't change them with a bunch of threats, but you might melt them that you will unconditionally love them. Three, keep accepting them without approving of their behavior. Did you hear me? Keep accepting them. You know, when we were going through some rough times uh, in our own family and uh, was getting a lot of Advice, criticism, people telling me what we ought to do. I love what Carolyn did one day when she came home. She simply said, you know, just tell the elders to get another pastor. They can get another pastor. It's a wonderful church. Tell them to get another pastor. 
because our girl is never going to have to look for another set of parents because we're going to stay with her to the end. And why don't you men get that kind of backbone and fight for your even rebellious kids? Quit acting so surprised that they acted like you did at their age. That's why we're so hard on young people. That's why they don't like, that's why they leave church until they get their sin past them because they got to look good to come down here. No, 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 no. You don't have to look good, honey. God will take you like you are. I don't have to clean the fish. I just got to catch them. He told me to catch fish. He didn't tell me to clean them. I'm not the cleaner. I can't clean you dirty people. You've got to go to Emmanuel. He cleanses. There is a fountain filled with blood, and he cleanses from that. You don't cleanse them. You don't change them. You don't keep me straight, and I don't keep you straight. Moses doesn't guide me. I've got one called the Father and my elder brother and the Holy Spirit. They keep me straightened out. I'm in a divine family. So are you. Don't get happy. He didn't break me. He said, I'll let the elder brother take it. I'm bringing you back. But the elder brother needed someone to die for his self-righteousness. Because you can go to hell just as easy hanging out at the temple as you could hanging out with the hogs. Both boys were lost. See, conservative Christians, we get this squeaky clean. You're actually abominable. You're harder to work with than it is the fallen. That's why this church has been so blessed. We've had so many come out of so many terrible backgrounds that the grace of God has been the only explanation. And, and that's what I want. God, give me sinners. I'm not going to try to get along with a bunch of cranky church people that have fired the last three pastors. Give me some sinners. If you don't like that, pray through. You'll know what I mean. I've been around the church many a year. I know some folk, nobody can do church right. Cause it, and they're the same people that haven't witnessed to anyone in years. Well, let me wrap up this. Keep affection for the fallen. Keep, keep the affection. The dad's kissing him when he was dirty. He didn't have to clean up. Do you say you clean up and I might let you come home? Well, some things you don't want going on in your home for sure. But he accepted him like he found him. And he poured the love on him. There was nothing conditional in the welcome. Finally, I love this. He was willing to protect his guilty boy from others. Criticism and even penalty. I'd say, dads, your sons, your daughters need protection. They, by the way, do you ever kiss your little boy? The rascal's about the only man that kisses around here. He'll kiss you. My brother Paul told my dad, my lips are only for girls, dad. Don't kiss me. You know, kind of hurt, dad. But little boys need affection, too. Quit telling them you've got to be the best on the team or you shame the family. Would you, if, if he didn't make the team and he got a C minus, would you kiss him? Would you tell him, I am thrilled that you're my boy? So many men have never had that affection. 
Well, I tell you right now, God the Father goes on the record. I'm raising sinners. I'm raising rebels. And everybody I saved never did love me until I saved them. We had no place in our heart. And guess what? I'm going to have my son. I'm going to send him on a mission to bring you to the Father's house. And he succeeded. 